I want to give you an update today on how our podcast about far-right extremism in the North Country is doing. It's called If All Else Fails. We aired all the episodes here on the show a couple of weeks ago, sort of podcast takeover. Well, since If All Else Fails launched, people have downloaded episodes about 75,000 times. It's excellent. And if you haven't listened yet, give it a try. I think you'll find it interesting and surprising and something that makes you think. Go to ncpr.org slash if all else fails or just search in your podcast app. So today we're going to check back in with the hosts, Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch, about what they couldn't squeeze into the podcast, what they learned and what questions they still have about far right extremism in our region. That's today's story of the day. Support for Story of the Day comes from Pearsall Wealth Management at UBS Wealth Management USA, subsidiary UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC, 1 Broad Street, Glens Falls. Hey, I'm David Summerstein. It's Monday, January 29th. First up, the St. Regis Mohawk tribe has reached a settlement with the company that made the toxic chemicals that polluted the Akwesasne Mohawk Reservation. Neither side has released terms of the settlement. In the 1960s and 1970s, the Alcoa, Reynolds, and General Motors factories in Messina dumped cancer-causing PCBs on the land near Akwesasne. They also released PCBs into the St. Lawrence, Grass, and Racket Rivers nearby. Mohawks have said for decades the chemicals caused severe health problems for some tribal members. Those chemicals were produced by Monsanto. I spoke with Chris Hippensteel of the Albany Times Union. He's been covering this six-year-old lawsuit. So the St. Regis Mohawk tribe, uh, which previously settled uh, lawsuits with the companies that own those Superfund sites, is now suing Monsanto or has sued Monsanto basically alleging what other parties who have brought similar PCB lawsuits against Monsanto have alleged, which is that the company knew these products were toxic and continued to market them to manufacturers regardless, uh, and that the contamination has ongoing adverse health effects for the residents of Akwesasne and the members of the Mohawk tribe. You uh, reported that um, Monsanto has uh, settled other cases kind of like this in other parts of the country. Yes. So Monsanto, now again, now owned by Bayer, so Bayer is sort of leading the charge here. Um, they settled a number of cases um, back in 2020 and left, notably, the St. Regis Mohawk tribe out of that settlement. Uh, the tribe decried that, that decision, called it discrimination, um, while Bayer char you know, alleged basically that the cases were fundamentally different, and for that reason, the St. Regis Mohawk tribe's case was left out. Um, either way, the case with St. Regis Mohawk Tribe dragged on for another three years after that. Um, I want to talk about just like one specific thing in this that you reported, and that involves sure. um, one of the experts who, um, you know, testified in this lawsuit, uh, Dr. David Carpenter, who we've um, interviewed about these this situation um, as an expert on PCBs and their effect on human health in stories that we've done about this particular situation in Akwesasne with the landfills owned by General Motors, by Reynolds, by Alcoa. Yeah, so David Carpenter is a professor and researcher at the University of Albany who has been, you know, for years researching the impacts of PCBs on human health and specifically the impacts of PCBs discharged into the environment near Akwesasne on the residents and members of the tribe up there. 
And he has been vocal about the dangers these chemicals pose to human health, and he has testified um, as an expert witness in a number of cases against Monsanto um, on similar grounds as the case that the St. Regis Mohawk tribe brought. Um, over the course of this uh, lawsuit during the process of discovery, um, Monsanto uh, filed a Freedom of Information request uh, asking for certain records pertaining to Dr. Carpenter uh, from the University of Albany. That prompted the University of Albany to launch a disciplinary investigation of Dr. Carpenter, which ultimately found no wrongdoing. The university uh, closed that investigation, uh, allowed Dr. Carpenter, who had been put on uh, sort of a kind of leave uh, to return to campus and resume his work. Basically, Monsanto went after Dr. Carpenter's records that spooked the University of Albany um, and created a bit of a back and forth um, that ultimately wound up with Carp Dr. Carpenter being reinstated. So is there any conclusion that we can draw here about this, you know, settlement? They won't disclose, you know, anything about it, but that there was a settlement? I think that's fair to say. Um, I think it's also fair to say that um, Monsanto might want to keep whatever the details of that settlement are quiet. Uh, Monsanto and, again, its you know successor in Bayer um, have been hounded by lawsuits for years now, and they've been trying to settle those, try and get them out of the public eye. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that, you know, neither party is at the time forthcoming with any information about what the terms of that settlement are, um, and it's not clear they will in the foreseeable future. That's Chris Hippensteel, investigative fellow with the Albany Times Union. So let's wrap up our podcast, If All Else Fails, with a special conversation with the reporters, Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch. So, Emily and Zach, you two spent months investigating far-right extremism in upstate New York. So one thing I wanted to ask you guys about your findings is... How is far-right extremism different here in upstate New York than in other parts of rural America? Yeah, this is interesting. So extremist groups gain traction over different issues in different parts of the country. So in parts of the South, white nationalism has really come into the spotlight in response to Confederate statues coming down. That's what sparked the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. In states along the southern border, like Texas, there are militia groups that are anti-immigrant. But here in New York, what we found was that guns were kind of the main focus of the far-right movement. Yeah, and we've seen that really on the rise in the last decade. A new gun control measure was passed in New York back in 2013 known as the SAFE Act. Now, being against the SAFE Act and being pro-gun rights, that's mainstream in upstate New York. What we saw was in some cases that legitimate disagreement over gun control kind of morphed into something else. It was a catalyst for anti-government groups and threats of violence, conspiracy theories. And that's the kind of activity that worries the FBI and counterterrorism officials. And to this day, Second Amendment arguments seem to have gained the most traction for the far right. People have used the gun rights issue as a recruitment tool for militias, as a way to say, hey, your government is trying to take this right away from you. What are you going to do about it? Emily, you mentioned racism and how ideas like white supremacy are part of far-right ideologies in other parts of the country. What about here in upstate New York? 
Well, one thing we struggled with during our reporting was not having any real way to know how widespread a certain belief is. Like we can drive around and count how many Confederate flags we see around upstate New York or talk to locals and experts about what they're seeing. But there's just no way to know what's motivating individual people on the far right. What we can say is that here in upstate New York, it appears that far right groups and militias and ideologies they're more focused on gun rights and an anti-government ideology than overt white supremacy. But here's the thing, even if it's not overt racism, a lot of these groups overlap and those lines aren't always so clear, especially when you think about the historical roots. The Constitutional Sheriff's Movement, for example, was started by a white supremacist in the 70s who believed county sheriffs should form posses and basically lynch people. Today, the CEO of the main group in that movement is a talk show host who props up white nationalists and neo-Confederates. In upstate New York, there's also the more in-your-face kind of racism, too. Ku Klux Klan flyers have surfaced in recent years. The Proud Boys have also tried to recruit here. They deny they're racist, but experts consider them a hate group. Reporters Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch, hosts of our podcast on far-right extremism called If All Else Fails. This is a short version of our conversation, and you can find the whole thing on the podcast feed. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, which is what I use, or just go to our website, ncpr.org slash if all else fails. Music today by Alan Dunham of South Glens Falls and Ramon Vasquez and Michael Hart of Malone. I'm David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio.